Hey guys, it's Allie and Lindsay here, and we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription. It is Winester. The best thing about Winester is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Winester is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S. So my favorite part about Winester is the fact that I don't really know much about wine, and when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Winester, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Winester is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. What's also ideal about Winester is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Winester.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order. Running the option on first down. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the BSN Buffs podcast presented by Total Beverage. I'm your host, Henry Chisholm. Before we start talking buffs, I want to tell you all about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, and liquor to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Bev is offering 20% off your purchase on their website and app, Use code BSN20 to save 20% and have it delivered to your door. Let's jump into the show. All right, guys, so I've got a weird cold. Weird because it's July and this doesn't normally happen. So this might be a little bit of a shorter pod today just because I'm having issues talking. Who knows, though? Things have gotten better. Maybe they'll keep up for the next 45 minutes, an hour, and we can get a normal-length pod in. Um... Before we start actually talking buffs, I want to tell you guys a quick story. So uh, my sister's in town. Uh, she's 14. She has a lacrosse camp starting here t- today. I'm driving her out there after this. And so she came in a couple days early to hang out, check out Denver. Yesterday, we went up to Boulder. And we were walking around the campus. Such a cool campus. I haven't spent much time up there, but it just keeps going. And there are... Uh, it took we we spent two hours just wandering around looking at stuff like the ponds and the creeks and the waterfall like it's it's wild such a cool place i'm lucky that i get to spend a lot of time up there for the next 
four months maybe. But yeah, so we get up there. Uh, we're just checking out a couple of the buildings. We go into the rec center and we're wandering around. Obviously, super nice rec center. They have like an ice rink. They have just all sorts of stuff that's incredible. But uh, we look over at the basketball court and I, I see some some big guy, big black guy with dreads who's dunking basketballs and he has a cameraman with him. And I'm like, well, wait a second. I wonder, I wonder who this is because I don't know many people who have dreads who look like that. Turns around, big smile on his face. And of course, it's LaVisca Chenault. So my little sister and I, we, we walked over there. I got to introduce her to him. Seriously, I know I've said this a few times on this podcast, especially after media day with him and Nate Landman and Mel Tucker, but he's just a great guy. Like, <laughs> like smiley, talkative. I don't know. Just, just wanted to throw that out there. We also went out to uh, the Lion King last night. We watched that in a, it's like an RPX theater. So basically what that means is that this, like there's wind and there's lightning, like when, oh, they'll, they'll like spray water on your face, make it feel like it's raining. And it's a lot of fun for like the first couple minutes. Like as soon as like you, you turn a corner or something and I don't know, your seat like turns and you like almost fall out of it. Everybody's like, oh, this is really fun. But then eventually like an hour in, you start getting like these little, they'll just shoot like air at your ear, like into your ear. Just little streams of air <laughs> into your ear hole. And, and again, like early on, everybody's like super excited. And then hour in, people are just like, ah, no, not this again. And so it was, we had a lot of fun. It's like raining on you. you. You start cringing every time you see a puddle or a waterfall. There are so many puddles and waterfalls in that movie. It was a trip. Only like 25 bucks though, which really isn't a bad deal for all that stuff. Like the chairs move, like there's a line that's fighting a hyena, like, the chair will just give you a little kidney shot every single time that one of them gets hit. Like, you're not even on the same side as the good guy in the situation. Like, it's not like when the good guy gets hit, the chair just, like, punches you in the kidney. It's when either of them get hit, which I, th I thought was, like, a weird thing. I don't know. And it, it, we had a lot of fun. We've been doing that kind of stuff. Met LaVisca, which is cool. Now it's time to actually talk some buffs, though. And we didn't get many questions on the last podcast, so I went to Twitter to find a couple more. And one of them came in from Ali Monroy, who is going to come out to Buffs Media Day and their first open practice on Saturday with me. And we'll, of course, have a bunch of good content coming out of that. We're really excited to see the team. But she asked, who are you most excited to see at the Buffs first open practice on Saturday? And I thought that that'd be a good question to really dive into since we are getting close to the season. And I have a couple of insights I can share with you guys there. Um... Let's start by talking about John Van Deest. We've talked about him quite a bit. I've mentioned that Nate Landman uh, has hyped him up in, in our quick conversations. And I want to play that audio for you just so that you guys can hear exactly what Nate said about John because I don't see those quotes getting into a story that I'm writing in the next week or so. And I don't really mind just sharing them with you guys for free even if you don't subscribe. So yeah. I'll plug those in here right now and be back on the other side. Going back to the linebackers, uh, Van Deest was very highly touted as a recruit, and we really haven't seen anything from him, but people are kind of comparing him to you as a guy who could break out this year. What have you seen from him? Yeah, you know, I've been working with John, and uh, John's the same age as me, so 
Um, he was my freshman year roommate, my dorm, dorm roommate. Um, so we have a great bond. Uh, John's a great kid and he's super athletic. He was an All-American in high school. And, uh, you know, he's battled injury. Um, last year he uh, hurt his knee pretty bad. But John definitely has potential to have a breakout here. He's big, strong linebacker. Um, he's intelligent. Uh, playing with him through the spring um, is the most playing time I've had with him. And, um, you know, we mesh pretty well together. He, um, he had a lot of great plays in the spring game. I don't know if you watched that. But he, um, yeah, I think, I think that was a big eye-opener uh, eye for a lot of people was, was the spring game. He, he did great in that. Uh, and how much of a part of the rotation do you think he'll be? I think it would be a strong part of the rotation, you know, just because he's a solid linebacker. And he has that, he has that uh, experience and, and a couple of years of college football and special teams and, and practice under his belt. So I think he'll be a great addition to our, our defense. So I thought that that was all really interesting stuff because I've heard so much of the John Van Deese type without actually seeing anything for myself. You know, studying up on the team, everybody said, he could be the next Nate Landman. And to hear Nate say, yeah, that makes sense. Here are his strengths. Here's why that could happen. I don't know. I, I really enjoyed listening to it. Here's the thing about the Buffs linebackers right now. Nate Landman obviously is incredible. He's one of the best run stoppers in the Pac-12. He can get through the line of scrimmage. He can make plays on the quarterback. He can make plays on the running back. He's just an all-around good linebacker what the only thing he's really missing is the cover skills and you see that throughout this linebacker group Jonathan Van Deest doesn't project as a guy who will have great cover skills um they bring Akil Jones they bring in uh Josh Allen neither of those are guys who you expect to have great cover spill skills at linebacker. Now, luckily in Mel Tucker's defense, linebackers assignments in coverage are pretty simple. Basically it's just to guard that little zone right in the middle of the field there. They don't need to be too rangy. They just need to stop the run and be able to hold their own in small zones in the middle of the field while the rest of the defense does more of the work. Um, that's the good news. If John Van Deest could step up, or even Nate Landman, I talked to Nate and he said that he's bigger and he's faster coming into this year. And I have a story coming up on that too, because of the technology they use to monitor speed now is just really interesting. And it's new that Mel Tucker brought over. So I'll have that coming up in the next couple days. But maybe the additional speed will help him a little more in coverage. And it's not like he's terrible. It's just that that's, that's where there's room for him to improve still. And there isn't a guy who really has that part of the game locked down. And at safety, they bring in Mikhail Onu from SMU, who should definitely be in the rotation at safety, I'd assume. The problem with him, though, again, is that he isn't a great cover safety. And I, actually, I was talking about this with Andre in the office a couple weeks ago when we were going through some of his tape. And actually, in one of the highlight videos, we noticed that he really wasn't in great position in coverage. Like, he's, he's a great in-the-box safety. He can hit guys. He, he makes a couple plays on the ball, but he's out of position or takes a weird angle. And so you have that question mark there, too. And, you know, with, with the lack of depth at cornerback, all of this stuff kind of combines 
to create a scary situation when it comes to pass coverage for the Buffs. They have that pass rush. You have Carson Wells, who I think is going to take a big jump forward. Uh, you have Mustafa Johnson, who is all, already one of the best pass rushers in the conference. And you have some other guys who will have a chance to step up and also contribute. Some of them really young guys. And so you have that part of the pass defense locked down. You just don't have the coverage yet. And that's going to be one of the biggest question marks and one of the things that I really want to see at camp and at this first open practice, which is Saturday, same as Buffs Media Day, where we'll have a chance to talk to all of the guys. Because it, it is a question. Who will step up? Will anybody step up? Um, offensively, just to get back to Ali's question, because there are some guys I'm really excited to see on offense. Most of the running backs are guys who I want to see. Um, Mangum and Fontenot being the marked guys, of course. Dimitri Stanley, we've heard all the hype. And even seeing Steven Montez my own eyes, this go with my own eyes, is going to be exciting. So this was a pretty quick segment. <laughs> uh, kind of lose my voice just a little bit. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. It's time to take a second and acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of BSN Denver. Breckenridge is the original Colorado beer, established in 1990 in Breckenridge, Colorado. You've probably heard of their delicious vanilla porter, their oatmeal stout, and most people's personal favorite, the world-famous Avalanche, which is their classic American amber ale. But they just released a new beer called Strawberry Sky that you guys are going to love. For you beer enthusiasts out there, they're calling this a light-hearted Kolsch ale. But for those of you who have no idea what that means, this is that light, delicious summer beer that you've been looking for. So look for Strawberry Sky at your local liquor store or any other Breckenridge beer. And make sure you also look out for the Breckenridge event calendar on bsndenver.com. We just launched it this week. You'll be able to see all of the events we have planned, and we'll be drinking Breck beers at all of them. So RSVP and have a good time. Moving on now to questions from subscribers. The first one comes in from Colorado Sports Fan. He says, Hey Henry, welcome to the Buffs Beat. I'm very happy to have this coverage back. I used to listen to RK and B-Bads on the OG podcast. They used to have a bottle of whiskey, and if the Buffs won, they would take a shot, I believe. You might need to check with RK to confirm this, but are you are you going to bring that back? I hadn't heard of that before, but maybe. We might have to bring that back. I don't know. We'll have to see what the rules are at BSN. Um, also, I listen to all the BSN podcasts at the same volume in my car, and your intro and outro almost blew my speakers. Can you pump down the volume a little? Thanks, man. Yeah, I can definitely do that. Um, I liked your coverage on Visca, and he definitely has the talent to win the Heisman, but I think the offense is going to spread it out more. They can't afford to get him hurt like last year. Shiv is a great buff and phenomenal recruiter, but he was a horrible low seat. He didn't seem to have a plan other than get Visca the ball and hope for the best. So hopefully the new C will have better offense and game plan. Yeah, I think I think that's a valid criticism. That's all that offense did last year was just get the ball to Visca and see what happened. And a lot of the time it worked for him. But there wasn't a lot more to it than that. Uh, that said... I'm pretty sure that was Shiverini's first time calling the plays for the Buffs. And so it could be that it just takes some time to figure out what you're trying to do. But yeah, the, the first run as play caller, I wouldn't call it overly successful. Um, he continues, now for some questions. 
where does Montez rank among the other Pac-12 quarterbacks? And what does he have to do to th- this year to get drafted? Thanks, man. Looking forward to this year. That's a good question. Um, <coughs> mostly because the Pac-12 is stacked at quarterback. Utah is bringing back Tyler Huntley. He's going to be a senior. I think you have to put him ahead of Montez just because of all the stuff he's accomplished. Um, USC has JT Daniels, who's only a sophomore, but was a highly rated recruit. And there's a good chance that this year he's better than Montez. I think that that's kind of 50-50, depending on whether Montez can take just a little step because he has so much more experience. Arizona State starting a freshman likely, so Montez is better than that. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson at UCLA, I give the nod to Montez, but I do think that uh, Thompson-Robinson is going to be really fun to watch just because he is so fast. Uh, Khalil Tate at Arizona is just a different kind of quarterback. Like he, he isn't looking to throw the ball nearly as much as he's trying to run it. Uh, he's torn the buffs apart the last couple of years. I, I want to say he ran for 300 his first time against the Buffs, and then threw for 350 yards against the Buffs last season. I think Montez could be better than him, but Montez needs to take a step forward. And and I know I've said that a couple times, and we'll talk about what exactly that means here in a second. But I think you got to put Tate in front of him. Um, Oregon, Justin Herbert, going to be a top three pick in the draft. Have to put him ahead of Montez. Um, Washington with Jacob Eason, I think it's Montez. K.J. Costello, I actually talked to K.J. Costello, quarterback at Stanford at Media Day, and asked him, like, what's it like playing in the Pac-12 when there are this many good quarterbacks? And every year you're kind of evaluated week to week against the quarterback that you played. Like you're watching a guy on the other sideline who's fighting to go to the NFL just like you are. And he said that he's just used to it at this point because he grew up on the West Coast, and that's where a lot of the good quarterbacks come from. So I thought it was kind of interesting to hear that at least from him, and I'd assume that this applies to other quarterbacks, that it really doesn't get in their head much knowing that they're going up against guys who people are comparing them against each other like we are right now. Uh, But K.J. Costello, ah, I think you got to put him ahead of Montez just because we haven't seen Montez take the next step. Um, Gage Gubrud coming in from Eastern Washington. I got to see him play. He's going to Washington State. Obviously got to see him play when he was playing the Grizzlies in the Big Sky Conference. He's a talented guy. He's taking a jump up, though, so who knows whether it'll translate. I'd put Montez ahead of him. Um, Chase Garbers at California. Meh. Jake Luton at uh, Oregon State. Matt. So, I mean, Steven Montez is a pretty middle-of-the-pack, just above the middle-of-the-pack quarterback in the Pac-12. But that still means that he's probably one of the best quarterbacks in the country just because there's so much quarterback talent on the West Coast. What does he have to do to get drafted? Basically, that's all mental. I've said it before, but he has the arm strength, he has the accuracy, he has the speed, just the overall athleticism to be an NFL quarterback. You just need him to read a defense, read the field, find open guys consistently. And if he even flashes that, if he shows that that's something that 
he has in him and can be developed over the next few years, then I think that some some team's going to take a chance on him. If it continues to be a lot of one read plays or like you see him staring down receivers, even if he is staring down LaVisca Chenault because LaVisca is such a mismatch, that's going to make it a lot tougher for a team to draft him. Um, so, so, yeah, that's really what I think you need to see from him is just a step forward mentally. Reading the field, understanding the game, understanding what the offense is trying to do and where the tension points are on the defense based on every play they call where he's trying to find, you know, a linebacker who has to make a decision. Is he taking a step forward or taking a step back? And then you either throw it in front of him or behind him. And that was the kind of stuff that we just haven't seen enough of from him over the last few years. And hopefully hopefully we will this year. And I think that just because he doesn't need to work on much else, he's had the time to study that kind of stuff. And hopefully some of it sticks. Next question coming in from Esbros99. Henry, was there any discussion at the Pac-12 about event about when or if they will get the Pac-12 network on DirecTV? As a Buffalo living in Idaho, it's slim pickings when trying to watch CU football on TV. Loving the coverage. That didn't come up. I know that uh, it is going to be on an Apple TV app. I'm not sure if that helps you. Maybe it's coming to other apps too, like Roku or that kind of stuff. They need to get it on DirecTV. It's... With, with all the issues they've had getting eyes on their product, they need to do whatever they can that to make sure that when they do have this network that's broadcasting the games, that people can access it. One of the things that's just kind of been confusing me ever since I started covering the Pac-12 has just been how poorly handled this has been. I do think that they are totally restaffing the Pac-12 network. I believe they cut a lot of positions and kind of restructured how everything's going to work there so I would expect some big changes coming maybe one of those is bringing it to DirecTV but I haven't heard anything specifically about that um, now we'll move on to some of the questions that we got from Twitter uh, first one coming in from Ann who asked can you give us an update on the running backs and corner situation so this is something we've talked a little bit about a few times. Even today, I brought it up. But uh, running back is going to be by committee. Everybody's mostly just competing to see who gets the bulk of the reps. Alex Fontenot's a sophomore. I think opening day, he's probably the number one. Jaron Mangum is a great prospect who, by the end of the year, I think will be the number one. And splitting time, you'll have guys like, I mean, Deion Smith, uh, Jared Broussard. I think it, it should be Fontenot and it should be Mangum getting the bulk. We'll see during camp exactly how the splits fall. I do think that by the end of the year, though, it's going to be uh, Mangum just because he is so talented, even as a true freshman and Fontenot is a sophomore that I think that he'll take over uh the corners though big questions you have Delrick Abrams uh as a senior probably your pretty clear number one he's long he's fast maybe maybe a little on the lighter side but he's he he's a lot of what you'd ask a corner to be but then they also have Chris Miller the sophomore who 
was hyped up out of high school. Again, he's only a sophomore. Didn't see a whole lot of him last year, so we don't really know exactly what to expect. Another guy who I'm excited to see in camp, he's easily the favorite for that number two cornerback spot. And we'll just kind of have to see what he looks like when things get started. I mean, Miller's kind of a physical freak. He, uh, this spring, he had the second fastest 10 yard sprint on the team, second longest broad jump, uh, third highest vertical leap. He's, he's a good athlete. We just don't know whether the technique has, whether he's figured that out yet. Obviously, there aren't many guys you'd rather see coaching him up than Mel Tucker. I mean, anywhere. So that's a good sign. But behind those two, some question marks. I mean, I don't even know who you'd call the third. It's got to be Makai Blackman, I'd guess, uh, just because he is the most experienced of the group that kind of follows those two. KJ Trujillo's young, but you don't know. I feel pretty confident about the top two. Even if Chris Miller has some learning or there's a learning curve early on, I think that he does get it figured out. And by the end of the year, you're pretty confident. Question is just how long that's going to take. Uh, we're going to call that it for the second segment. Um, I'll be right back after the break. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here. And I got to tell you, about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, it's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins best sports bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, they've got great specials and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap, you name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. All right, moving along here. We got a lot of responses on Twitter. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to get through all of them today, but if we don't, we'll save those for the next couple days in case we uh, are short on questions again. So don't think I missed the questions. We just might not have time to get to all of them. Let's start with um, what do you see as the biggest change to this year's team versus last year's? Scheme, attitude, development, um, I wrote a piece this morning that just dropped about how they're changing the defense defensive scheme in Boulder, and I think that that's going to be huge for this team. Uh, the The quick answer is that basically Nate Landman will be almost calling plays as inside linebacker this year, and I talked to Mel Tucker about why he trusts Nate to make those decisions. Nate says that he isn't scared at all. He thinks that by making sure he knows everything that's going on around him, it'll make it a lot easier for him to do his job, and so he might even take a step forward this year. I think that the scheme, just because it is so much more complicated, and that was the one thing that both these guys just kept saying, is that it's more complicated. There are more checks. There are more all these different things 
that will change on a play-to-play basis and what gets called from the sideline might be totally different 15 seconds later. It's a lot of pressure on Nate. If if he makes the wrong read, then who knows? I mean, that could put them in a bad situation, but based on my conversations with him, based on my conversations with Mel Tucker, I really think that he is ready for it, and I think that he can be an asset, putting them in the best possible position. So I, I think that that's probably the biggest change. And if you want to hear more about that, I wrote a I wrote a story about it this morning, kind of breaking down a bunch more of the nuance to it than these broad points that I've been talking about. But yeah, that's that's number one. The mindset I wasn't really here last year, so I don't know what it was like. Whether the attitude is different. I have been impressed with the way that whenever you talk to these guys, they're they're thinking about the Pac-12 title. They aren't thinking we want bowl eligibility or you know, we're we're trying to have a winning record or we want to win however many games in the Pac-12. They want to be the conference champions. And I can't say that that wasn't the mentality last year, but I have been impressed that they really do seem totally bought in when it comes to that. Uh, another question, do you think, this one's from Capwise, do you think Darren Shiverini will be head coach at another school after this season? I don't. Um, if his stint as a play caller had been more successful, then I could see it. I think that he'll need to be calling plays again before he gets that opportunity. It's been interesting hearing about him, just because he is loved by pretty much everybody like the players the fans everybody has positive things to say about him and I got to talk to him on the phone for just a few minutes the day he got promoted to assistant head coach and I was impressed too you can tell he's a guy who has a lot of energy Um, I don't know what his football knowledge is like just because I haven't had those kinds of conversations with him and if you look like we've said a few times today that offense that he ran last year it wasn't it it wasn't overly exciting you know it it wasn't something where you say wow this is going to be the new wave across the Pac-12 or across college football and that's a lot of what teams are looking for when they look for a new head coach the one kicker is that he is a great recruiter and it it totally makes sense why when you see him he's so easily excitable so positive happy and i think a lot of that works well in his favor. Favor, I kind of see him as a very good number two, though. At least for right now, we have Mel Tucker, who's kind of the, you know, the strong. Let's not temper these expectations, but we just need to go out there, get it done, this kind of stuff. Where Darren Chiverini is a little more rah-rah. He's a little more energetic. At least that's my early read on the situation. And I think that that fits better as a number two than as a number one. He's also only, what, 38 maybe? And so he has a lot of time before he needs to be making a jump to head coach. I don't I don't think he's ready yet. And if he does make a jump, then it would be probably like a low-end FCS school would be my guess. And... He just loves CU so much, and that's something that he said, something that Mel Tucker told me he was impressed by, like how badly 
Darren wanted to stay in Boulder when uh, McIntyre was fired and uh, Mel Tucker was given the option to retain him or not. And so I don't think uh, Shiv would leave unless there was a great opportunity for him. And I don't think that there's going to be a great opportunity for him yet. It is something that I could see down the road just when he gets a little more experience, tries out some new things, becomes offensive coordinator again, runs a more successful offense. That's my read on the situation right now, at least. I really like this one coming in from Luis Rodriguez. Uh, He asks, why didn't it work for Bob Stitt at Montana? And what could his offensive ideas bring to an FBS program? His name was floated around for a bit as an offensive coordinator with the Buffs after what he'd done at Mines. I know it's not Buffs talk, but there's some connections there. Yeah, just because he is kind of a Colorado guy, we can talk about for a couple minutes. Um, so he coached at the Colorado School of Mines, where they have trouble bringing in top-end talent. Not just because they're a small school, but because it's so difficult to get into that school. It's the similar to that Georgia Tech uh, problem where they can't recruit just anybody, so they run the triple option offense, and so they think that they can out-scheme teams instead of... Uh, just having more talent that's the same thing like those smarter schools like georgia tech the military schools uh the citadel the uh, air force navy army all these option offenses because they can't just go after every five-star recruit because for some reason they don't fit in with the school that was the same problem he was facing at the school of mines so he was having to be very creative the big thing that he came up with was the jet sweep. Like the idea is run that receiver background, pitch him the ball in front of you and let him just keep running around the edge. That was his big innovation. And to be honest, he was kind of a one hit wonder. He's known for his offensive creativity, but when he actually came to Montana, it was a little disappointing. Like we saw a lot of that jet sweep. I mean, actually a lot of people were disappointed that we didn't see more. It seemed like it was still something that he only ran out occasionally. But there wasn't much else going on in the offense. It actually kind of looked like the Buffs offense of a year ago, where everything was developing behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, You'd put three receivers out to the right. If there are two corners out there and a safety, and the safety is back behind, they'd see that as an easy four or five-yard gain. Throw it out to receiver, get two blockers on the two corners, Maybe maybe the receiver gets by the safety and picks up more than like the four or five yards where he meets him. But that was kind of the offense, very similar to what the Buffs did. Uh, Stitt recruited so, so, so many receivers. The, the Grizzlies are still backlogged with receivers, but he never really recruited any linemen. It was all skill position players. A lot of people didn't like that especially in Montana where it's so much smash out mouth power football so I mean when when he first got to town everybody was really excited because they would say you know this is this is the guy that came up with the jet sweep we're going to be doing so many fun offensive things this is going to bring Montana football back to the glory days but then by the end of his tenure because he did get fired things didn't go well he didn't win a lot of games everybody was just saying things like you know, I know he invented the jet sweep, but, and then go on whatever rant they have about Bob Stitt. So he isn't a guy who most Montana fans look favorably upon. Having talked to a couple parents of players who were on the team at the time, they all said, 
um, their their interpretation of the situation was that Bob was not a diehard football guy. It's not like Mel Tucker where you think, wow, this guy really does eat, breathe, sleep football. That's all he's thinking about. You know, a couple of the parents would say, you know, my kids just keep telling me that Bob Stitt won't stop talking about golf and how excited he is to play whatever golf course and all this kind of stuff. And again, if a coach isn't giving a player playing time, the kid's parents are going to be upset. Maybe that was the situation. I did hear it quite a bit, though, so who knows. As an offensive coordinator, maybe it works. I wasn't too impressed. I think that he fits well at one of those smaller schools doing that kind of stuff. But that's kind of a quick story of what Bob Stitt was like and what CU would have seen had they hired him. The next question comes in from Doug734. He asks, what's the most favorable matchup for a road Pac-12 win? I think that one's pretty easy. I think that has to be UCLA. Just because Chip Kelly hasn't had the time to turn the program around. They're starting a young quarterback. I mean, they're young all over that roster. There isn't too much outstanding talent. That's that's a game where I think the Buffaloes are actually the better football team. And in the Pac-12 this year, there aren't a whole lot of those games, at least on paper. You never know. Maybe the Buffs get hot. Maybe a lot of their issues the last couple of years have been uh, attitude, and Mel Tucker can come in and turn that around. Maybe Steven Montez takes a step. LaVisca becomes a receiver who can actually carry a team throughout an entire season. A whole bunch of great things could happen. But I do think that they're better than this UCLA team. And that's the only road game that I really think they have the better squad for. There are some other upsets I could see. I think that Washington at home is a great opportunity for an upset. I wrote all about this, by the way, on bsnnever.com. The first half is free. I went uh, game by game through the entire schedule, broke down in 200, 300 words, key storylines, who I think is going to win, why. So check that out if you're interested. But, yeah, UCLA is a game that I think they uh, should win. Washington, though, is a game that I really think they have a chance for a big surprise upset Washington of course was picked at the top of the Pac-12 alongside Oregon they were within a couple points of each other in the Pac-12 media poll so I really I mean they're they're a very good football team but this isn't a bad matchup for the Buffs and again I broke this down on the website but the Buffs are coming off a bye they were last year they were only down 17-13 with four minutes left in that game ended up losing by two touchdowns but they were right in it most of the way Washington lost a couple of big time players lost Byron Murphy the cornerback which opens things up for Katie Nixon LaVisca Chenault uh there's a new quarterback there they're playing the game in Boulder there's there's a lot to like about that matchup I mean odds are still Washington comes in and beats the Buffs but there's, there are reasons to be optimistic there, and I think that that's going to be a really fun game to watch. Let's get to one more question before we end today's podcast, and that's going to come in from Texas Bronco. He asked, what player besides LaVisca and Montez will be most vital to a successful season? 
I'm going to use this as one last chance to plug my story from today about Nate Landman, but he's the answer. He's the best player on that defense. He has increased responsibilities. He was only a sophomore last year when he broke out, so he could really step up. He's going to be the key to stopping other teams' ground games, and they play some good running backs this year. There's a lot of talk about these quarterbacks, but it'd be real nice if the Buffs can just not even worry about the run because Nate Landman and John Van Deest can take care of that so that they can just focus on not getting burned by these NFL quarterbacks they're facing. He's also in charge of a lot of the play calling on defense. He's going to influence the game not just by how he plays, but how he thinks. And I think that's that's why he's my pick to be the most important buff next to LaVisca and Montez this season. I think you could say a guy like maybe Alex Fontenot breaks out. But again, you have two shots there. You have two running backs. You just need one of those two to to solidify themselves as a good Pac-12 running back. Whereas on defense, Nate Landman is kind of in control of all of this. Like I said, check out that story if you haven't yet. Uh, If you haven't subscribed to BSN Denver, we're actually having a big sale for the start of camp. The wait is over. It's time for fall camp, and we're giving you the best deal we've run since we went to a free t-shirt format with subscriptions, but it won't last long. Here's the deal. If you use code SCOBUFFS, S-K-O-B-U-F-F-S, you will get our annual package for $34.99, which not only is a $10 discount off our current annual package, but it comes out to $2.91 per month, which is almost 50% off our standard monthly price. But it's not just about the discount. You're also going to get a free premium Buffs t-shirt, which is a $27 value. You get to have your comments read on the podcast, You get all of our exclusive content on bsndenver.com. If if you don't like reading but you want the inside details, subscribers get all of our Buffs written stories in audio form, meaning we read all of our written content to you. And then, of course, there's our film reviews, game grades, and just being part of the BSN Buffs community. So go to bsndenver.com or download the app and use promo code SCOBUFFS, that's S-K-O-B-U-F-F-S, all one word, to join the family today. That's all I've got for you guys today. Uh, I'll be back here tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, to talk more buffs with you guys. Get through some more of the comments from Twitter. Any questions you guys have, you can leave in the comment section on the website in today's post for this podcast. Uh, And then Wednesday, we're going to have Andre Simone come on to talk with me about the buffs, maybe some Pac-12, maybe college football as a whole. And then Thursday, we get into camp. So things are really starting to heat up here. Excited to be with you guys. Uh, yeah, that's the show. I'll see you all tomorrow. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. And see you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaited. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to be.
Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, man, I swear I think they like my Colorado swag. 